Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great Uh, this week we're joined by the former Dunfermline Celtic and Scotland player Jackie McNamara. Jackie, thanks for coming along. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you very much for joining us, Jackie. We've picked out a shoot magazine for yourself um, from the 21st of November 1981. So before we go into it, uh, would you have got shoot magazines, match magazines when you were a wee boy? Yeah, yeah, although I don't think I remember, <laughs> I remember <laughs> much about it, but yeah, we had uh, uh, between that and the, uh, the sticker albums and mm. stuff, try to get, try to get uh, uh, doublers of my dad when he was playing. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see if we can um, refresh some of your memory. There is a wee article on your dad in here as well, so we'll have a wee check at that later on. So we'll go to the front page. The front cover is a photograph of Kevin Keegan with his arm raised in triumph and a smile on his face. Now he's wearing a Hungary shirt. England had just beaten Hungary 3-1 in Budapest in June earlier in the year in their World Cup qualifying group. And they were due to meet them again at Wembley in the last game of the group, which this is just before that. So the magazine is a World Cup special and the main photo has a heading, England can do it, Keegan says. It's accompanied by the Espana 82 logo, a red and yellow Spanish flag with a football over one end. And inside there are expert views from Ron Greenwood, Danny McGrain, Martin O'Neill and Brian Flynn Shook take a look at the home nation's chances of qualification. There's also a Man City team group in the centre pages and the cover price is a measly 25 pence. It's 57 cents in Australia, 55 cents in New Zealand, 1,200 lira in Italy and 11 krona in Denmark. Uh, so... Look, just looking at the the front page, it's a cracking Hungary strip. That it's an Adidas one, a red Adidas, um, with a, an embroidered badge in the middle. Now, for me, actually, I don't know how well you can see, it, but Kevin Keegan looks a bit like Richard Hammond to me there, the from Top Gear, and the picture was actually used. You remember the the song, the England World Cup song, uh, this time? Do you remember that song, the Ron Greenwood? Uh, this time, more than any other time, this time. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. this this was the picture that was used for the for the album of that, but obviously they they them um, drawn them in as an England with with an England shirt. So anything we want to pick out from the front cover there? Anything that grabs your attention? As if you remember that game, I'm sure that game was on live. It was, yeah. Because uh, I, I remember that was when Trevor Bruton scored and the ball stuck in the stanchion. Right. Yeah. I you remember that. I remember. I remember watching that game. Yeah, it was a midweek game, and it was unusual for midweek games to be live on the TV at that point. But yeah, let's, let's jump inside. So onto page two, and I'm going to pick out the shoot view. So the title is World Cup Thriller. So this is a little editorial by Shoot, and Shoot compares the suspense of the qualifying ties with the TV show Dallas for producing the unexpected. And on Scotland, they say 
The only certainty in a year of climax and anticlimax is that Scotland will achieve a hat-trick of World Cup appearances. It's fairly predictable that Scotland will not make the same mistakes which marred their last World Cup campaign. The Scotland squad is crammed with talent when international football is allegedly short of quality players. Now, if only that was true. Eh? So they're obviously talking about the 1978 uh, debacle that went on there and saying that we wouldn't make those same mistakes again. Which was true, we made different mistakes, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's quite a few to, to, to mention as well. <laughs> so you're obviously one of the last players to have played in a World Cup for Scotland, Jackie. What was, what was the experience like being part of that squad? It was brilliant. Um, I think just being involved in the, you know, the, in the games in the Tatton Army. Uh, obviously, my, my family there, my dad and brothers and uncles and you know, part of me was was uh, thinking I'd love to be with them, but obviously, <laughs> professionally, you know, you'd rather be involved in the games, and uh, you know, they were they were brilliant to be involved in. Is that something that yeah, you actually think about a bit? That sometimes when you're playing, you miss not being in amongst the fans. Is that something that that comes up quite well? Hard? Even just this magazine there, actually, we travelled to the Spain in '82. My dad and my, you know, we were at the Scotland game in the, against Brazil. You know, obviously very young at the time, but, you know, it was great memories going around and, and to think I actually played in a World Cup, you know, it was and being involved with the national team at that. And obviously it's been a long time since we've, we've uh, qualified. It was good we were involved in the Euros in the summer there, but, you know, for me as a, a young boy going to watch him with my dad and my brothers uh, in Spain in 82, uh, to be playing in a World Cup was, was special. What, what, what would be your, apart from the World Cup that you actually took part in, then let's just um, just soak that in, you actually took part in the World Cup. What, what one was your favourite World Cup as a spectator? Would it have been 82? It would have been, yeah. I mm. think just, uh, you know, being a, a young lad and, and seeing all the players and, uh, you know, the Brazil, the Brazil game, being at that game especially, yeah. uh, when Mary scored that unbelievable goal and we upset them. <laughs> um, but the goals are there, and you know it's the first being up close and live to the Brazil team. We, you know, Zico's and the players they had was just incredible. Mm. Uh, you know, as, as a young kid, obviously you see bits in the TV, but when you're actually at a game live, uh, it seems it seems really special. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's my my favourite as well, and it's just everything about it. It was a beautiful summer, and obviously if you're over in Spain, it was going to be hot anyway. But it just it seemed magical. It seemed, you know, that that's not been. I've not really encountered that in any World Cup. And we talk about this. Maybe it's it's that golden age, when about ten, twelve years, between eight and twelve years old, that that the World Cup that you experience at that point becomes your favourite one. And that for me, eighty two, nothing nothing beats it. What about you, Tom? Yeah, it's eighty two for me. Yeah, eighty two. Yeah, it was my, it was my, I was 10, so it was, that was my first World Cup, sitting in front of the telly watching every game. Mm. Yeah. Okay, let's take a wee look at pages two and three. So this this is, um, so the shooter looking at the upcoming qualifier at Wembley between England and Hungary, so as the front cover suggested. England manager Ron Greenwood admits that the famous Hungarian side of the 1950s had a great influence on his footballing philosophy. 
this was this was the last game of the group, and England were sitting in third spot behind Hungary and Romania. Although Romania had finished their games and were a point ahead of England, but with an inferior goal difference. So a win or a draw would see them go through against Hungary, and as it was, England won one 0 with a Paul Mariner goal in front of ninety two thousand fans at Wembley. Now that this this was the tournament. This was the very tournament that the the famous Norway two um, one game. The you know you've taken a hell of a beating sort of one. So that that was that tournament. And see, I'd, I'd remember that at the time, and it, I I don't equate it to this tournament. I just you know it's, it just seemed like something that happened, and I, I don't remember it being that far back. Um, so the Hungary game, as you say, Tom, it was shown on BBC um, during the midweek. And this was the first World Cup that England had reached since 1970 as well. So they made it with the skin of their teeth, I think. Let's let's say that. Um, moving on to pages six and seven. So should take a look at Northern Ireland versus Israel and Belfast and also the Portugal versus Scotland game in Lisbon. We'll look at them separately. So the first one, Northern Ireland are in third place in Scotland's group and are a point behind Sweden who have played all their games. Now, the Northern Irish have a better goal difference and only need to draw to qualify. So, Shooter speaking to Martin O'Neill, who's photographed there, there's a picture of him in there, who insists we'll do it if we keep cool. He says that they will rely on the experienced players in the squad to show the others how to cope with the game. And even though they have not been scoring many goals, O'Neill doesn't expect they will need to score many to get the result they need. So, as a wee spoiler, Northern Ireland beat Israel 1-0 thanks to a Jerry Armstrong goal. Um, across the page, shoot also use a chance to preview the Portugal versus Scotland game as the basis of this week's Tartan Talk with Danny McGrain, which I don't know if you remember, that was a, a feature in the magazine and you, other um, Andy Gray used to do it, um, Ali Dawson used to do it, so there was, there was quite a lot of different Scottish players who would do the Tartan Talk, but the Danny McGrain ones were always good for, um, he used to have a wee wind up with English and things like that and he was quite forthright, so th- those were quite good. So Danny, Danny starts off by talking about the fact that he's had to pull out the Scotland squad due to fracturing his leg in a recent match against Partick Thistle. He missed the Northern Ireland game and while back in training, sees no need to rush things for the Portugal game, given the fact that Scotland have already qualified. He does mention Ray Stewart in the article who came in and replaced him in that Northern Ireland game, saying that he did a marvellous job. And he also picks out Asa Hartford who took over the captaincy role from him saying that he, he doesn't receive the credit he deserves playing for Scotland. And lastly, he, Danny pays tribute to Johnny Doyle, the Celtic player who had sadly died in a recent tragic accident at his home. And about Johnny, Danny says, I don't think I've ever known a player more dedicated to one club. He never hid his love for Celtic, even when he played for Air United. And if he hadn't been wearing a green and white hoop jersey, I know he would have been wearing a green and white scarf on the Parkhead terraces. Uh, so, as a spoiler, Portugal won that game 2-1 thanks to Emmanuel Fernandes double and the Scotland goal was by Paul Sturrock. So, I'm, I'm guessing you you would know Danny McGrain quite well, Jackie? Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. Um, fortunate enough, he was in the coaching setup a couple of times as well in my, in my 10 years there, but and what a player he was, what yeah. a defender. You know, he, he's one of the best Um but a good relationship uh, with Danny, you know, and uh, see him now and again. And he's quite a funny character as well. Good sense of humour. Yeah. So what? What about well, the? Sorry, Tom. Well, I was just going to ask. I think well, you were going to ask there a picture of Martin O'Neill sort of cool on the ball. So what was what was Martin O'Neill like to to play under? Uh, I mean, it was a fantastic uh, 
time for the for the club when he came in. He transformed things right away. Um, it was quite it was quite difficult to get uh, close to him. I know where you stood with him, you know, and uh, I wouldn't say aloof, but he was quite distant. Um, and I watched a documentary years later after I'd been with him and was in uh, Clough and there's a lot of similarities and you take a lot of things from, from Clough uh, when he was his manager. But I really liked him, you know, I thought he was I thought he was excellent, really intelligent man. Um, you know, and when he spoke, you, you listened, people listened to him and he could control a room. Um, but no, he was good. He was a good footballer as well. Yeah. Uh, good as a pundit as well. He's very, very forthright as a pundit. But yeah, like you say, obviously it was an exciting must have been an exciting time for you at Celtic when you when you came in. It was, yeah. I mean the um John Barnes had just left and Kenny took the team uh, who was my hero growing up, uh, Doug Leash, yeah. uh, took the team to the end of the season and done well. We won the we won the League Cup with Kenny. And then uh, Martin came in uh, you know pre season and you know changed things really quickly, brought some in some great players for us. But uh, trans transformed the club at that stage. Yeah, but uh, as well as bringing in a lot of guys, he he, he didn't sweep everybody out, kind of thing. He kept, you know, because it was obviously guys there that had been signed by Tommy Burns and signed by Doctor Joe and signed by Rim Jansen, kind of thing. He obviously knew the talent that was in that was already there. Yeah, and I think um, he improved players by you know the way he went about things. Um, you know, guys like you thought um, wouldn't have a, a career with him. Um, probably myself included. You know, when he first came in, I, I was in his starting eleven, then lost my, my position. Guys like Bobby Peter, Stillian Petrov, you know, he, he transformed Stillian um, and helped him in his career. So, yeah, it wasn't just the ones that he brought in. He had a, a good way about him with, with, with players and to get the best out of him. So just on, on the Tartan Talk page at the bottom there, I don't know if you can see it, there's also a photograph of Alan Brazil in action. And yeah. It's not the most felt looks, I've seen him as a footballer. As well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've I've seen quite a lot of photographs where he's you know he's he's never small, but you know he was yeah. he was athletic. But yeah, he certainly looks to be on the way the way um, the way out at that point in time. Great player though, great player. Yeah, he was. Okay, let's move on to going to move on to this advert. So here's a wee blast from the past here. Subutio, page ten. So this one says, the right moves could take you to the 1982 World Cup in Spain. So this is a competition competition by Subutio. And the page is a half-page photo of a superbly set-up Subutio scene, complete with stadium, crowd and floodlights. The action shows the ball already in the net. So somebody's just scored with a number, number of players set up through the half and in the penalty area. So the competition itself is titled Plot the Shot. And it has the following rules. The scene that's set from an actual goal from the 1978 World Cup. So they're all set up in the positions of an actual goal from the 1978 World Cup. One team is in dark and one is in white. In the competition form, there's an overhead diagram of the setup as well. Um, and the, the players that are attacking are identified by letters. I hope this all makes sense. It's your job to identify which three players were involved in the move and goal and in which sequence it happened. Um, I was speaking to Tom about this earlier on. I have no idea which goal that is. Um, I've, I've I've been through one of these YouTube videos that shows the entire set of nineteen seventy eight goals, and nothing nothing matched with that. So either I wasn't paying attention, or yeah, it just uh, missed me by. Um, now the prize, brilliant prize, air travel for two 
with 15 nights hotel accommodation and tickets for 8 matches plus the final and it's open to everyone under 17 did you have Sabuto Jackie Is that was that something that was in the household at the time yeah it was yeah I did uh, actually liked, I liked that um, also had another game called Striker I yeah. don't remember that we used to press the wee head and the, the, the foot would come out and kick the ball. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think uh, Shibuto stood the test of time, you know, when the floodlights come out in the stadiums. and mm. It was uh, a bit different from the, the games the kids have now with FIFA. And yeah. Stuff. But it was brilliant. Yeah, it's it, it certainly more interactive. And for me, the joy was in the setup of it. It was never actually playing the game. For, for me personally, was was where the joy was in the setup of it. And then it was a case of, right, okay. But I don't think we had any, the stadium and things like that, which was always the dream. And we spoke about this before, about how the the floodlights, for me, were the, the worst. I, I, I always say that the floodlights actually sucked light in rather than giving it out. They were that bad. Um, they used to take those big batteries and they would last for about two minutes and that was them gone, so... I don't know what your experience was at the floodlights, but mine was quite um, quite emotional and quite a heartbreaking thing. You must have been well off uh, the floodlights as well. <laughs> Santa was good to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so the, I mean, great competition, as we said, with the prize. Tra- air travel for two to the World Cup, two weeks accommodation, tickets for eight games plus the final. I mean, I would love to find out who won that, so maybe that's something for us to do later on. Okay, let's have a wee move on to pages 12 and 13 here. So this is quite a colourful couple of pages and it's looking at the the home country games, apart from Scotland. So there's reviewing of the Hungary-England game coming up. Um, we'll, we'll look at that first. There's a double page spread. The, the first page shows Paul Mariner leaping above a Hungarian player to win a header. The next shows Brian Robson with a bit of a perm going on. And he's leaving the Hungarian fl- player in his wake. The last one shows Steve Koppel. I don't know if he's um, got over that challenge or he's been brought down. I suggest by his right leg there, his right foot. He's probably been caught with that. And looking at the boots, so we've got a pair of Pumas for Paul Mariner. We've got Adidas for Brian Robson. And I'm going to get this one right, Tom. Patrick for Steve That's Koppel. It, yeah, Steve Koppel. Yeah. What, what kind of boots did you wear when you were, when you were younger, Jackie? My first boots were um, Puma Dudley Silver right. uh, in the, the Golds uh, and I had a pair of Patricks as well. Uh, Kevin Keegan wore them yeah. as well. I also Adidas. I did Adidas ones as well. As as I got older, uh, Copas mm. first came out as well. Yeah, I take it, I take it as, as you started to play professionally that you no longer bought your own boots. Would that be the case? Uh, yeah, that's. I think it was... It wasn't until I got I was at Celtic yeah. I started getting uh, the, the boot deals and stuff. Um, it was Reebok to start with. I was wearing Reebok. Then I had a, a contract with uh, Feeler. Right. Uh, yeah. What were they? But what were the boots like? Were they comfortable enough? Or the Reebok, aye, Reebok ones were really nice. I was uh, Reebok Integrity. They were called. Right. Um, with the 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 sign the white from right round the back of the boots and uh, you know and the and the made sure that they never put the the black polish over the white bits. I like to have the white bits shown and yeah, like yeah. they were new all the time. Um, 
it's one of my pet hates when the you know when the you used to shine the boots up for your pros or that and you just go right over the, the white bits as Adidas subhumors and, mm. and discolour it. Yeah, they become grey after after that. Yeah, yeah. For me, it would be like um, a couple of weeks worth of maybe just making sure you don't go over the edges, and then after that, so I would have been one that annoyed you. So apologies and apologies. And then uh, I just used dubbing, used to get the dubbing out. Hmm. That was always decent for the leather and kept the other bits white as well. Yeah. So just look at again, looking at the strip. I mean, we've, we've just briefly spoke about the Hungarian one that Kevin Keegan was on the front, but for me the. The Spanish, the English kit there is the, um, it's the do, do, do Admiral, Admiral one with the yeah. the blue stripe and the red stripe at the top. For me, personally, as a, as a Scotland fan, that that's my favourite England kit of all time, and, and it may again come back to the nineteen eighty two thing. So, what, what would what about yourself? Do you have a favourite England kit? Um, I wouldn't say it's favourite, but <laughs> I think out, out of them all, I I'd probably go with that one as well. Mm. Probably. Their, their best looking one, iconic one. Yeah. Um, between that one and the the World Cup in ninety. Yeah. In Italy. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Let's have a look across the page. So we've got the Republic of Ireland team here. Um. So this this photograph was taken. It's a team photo, and it was taken before the France game where the Irish won three two in Dublin the previous month. Now the Irish kit is by O'Neill's, and we've spoke about this before. And I don't know if you know the story of this. O'Neill's is, a, is an Irish-based kit manufacturer and it's basically three stripes, so it's the same as Adidas. And Adidas took them to court in 1983, so a couple of years after this, and lost, which I love. So O'Neill's can use the three stripes, but only in the Republic, so they can't they can't do it in Europe, um, which is a, a nice wee nice wee story there. But it's a, it's, a, it's a nice enough little kit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, it's it's uh, smart. Yeah. Really smart. A few few well well known well the mostly well known faces in there as well. You've got Liam Brady, um, Michael Robinson yeah. in there, Frank Stapleton, Matt Lawrence, who there's a focus on feature at the back of this magazine. Um yeah, quite a few in there. Would you have worked with anybody that's in the the, the picture there? Um just trying to think. No. No, I haven't. Yeah. I just seen the lad the previous one with, with Terry McDermott, he was there. Right. Photograph on this page is action from the Wales versus Iceland game at home where they drew 2-2. And the Welsh kit's another cracker for me, another Adidas one. It's a red body with uh, white arms, a bit sort of Arsenal type. Uh, white shorts with the thick red band down the sides and red socks. So, yeah, that's another, for me, icon. Uh, that sort of period for me was the best for, for football kits. So, you know, I, I'm going to say every time a kit comes up, that's an iconic one. So... There we go. Um, let's move on to page 15. So that, since we're talking about boots, I don't know, did you have Gola at all? Or would that have been... You know what? I'd actually, I was at a, 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 a kind of fancy dress um, <laughs> about a month ago. I went, there's a retro shop near where I live 
and they were I actually bought a pair of white Gola uh, sort of trainers with mm-hmm. green uh, old retro to wear to this sort of seventies event. Actually, quite smart. Whereas <laughs> back then, you I would have been seen dead in them. Yeah, whereas mm. now I think they're quite smart. Mm. But um, the boots themselves, you know, they weren't very popular. It was more the, the branded there when I was a little boy. Yeah. yeah. So, so for me, the boots are there. The only ones that look remotely comfortable are the ones in the bottom middle, the Euro Cups, which are probably the most expensive ones as well. Everything else looks a bit sort of plasticky and a bit solid. Um, the ones in the middle are the Roy Races, so that those are the ones that, you know, that you would know, you know, I think that they were yellow, the stripes were yellow on, on that one. Um, red studs maybe as well. Um, but those are the ones that probably why Gola was so well known young kids at the time but um I, I never had a pair of those and they're endorsed by Emlyn Hughes with there's a photograph at the top so they couldn't even get a photograph of them with the boots so I don't know what sort of endorsement that is um okay let's move on so we're at pages there we go pages 16 and 17 so this is news desk so there's, there's a lots of little stories from from around the country and stuff here so I'm going to pick some of them out First one, uh, Cesspod. So Cesspod, Bradford City's West Indies-born defender, became the first black player to reach 400 league appearances with one club last month. Now, he'd go on to make 502 league appearances for City and 565 in all competitions, which is still a club record, so he holds the appearances record for that. He signed for Halifax Town and played another 57 games, and then he played with Scarborough, where he won promotion with them under manager Neil Warnock. He played for and later managed at international level of St Kitts and Nevis. So that's Cesspod there. Is that is that a name that you you know at all, Jackie? No. No, no does it ring a bell? No. Okay. Sorry, no problem. Gibson's back is the next little article. And Aidan Gibson, an 18-year-old winger with Derby, is keen to make his mark this season after some atrocious luck last term. He broke his ankle after only a minute of being on the field in his debut against Shrewsbury and played on for a further 20 minutes without knowing. He's looking for a bit more luck in his future, it says. Now, as a spoiler, unfortunately, luck didn't shine on him, as he broke his other ankle a couple of years later, before moving on to Exeter, where he'd only make 18 appearances. So, a very short career there, cut by injury. Next one, falling attendances. So, at a time when attendances are falling at many football grounds in Scotland, the amateur game is booming. More and more people are playing amateur football these days and this growth in popularity has led to the launch of the Scottish Amateur Football Association Lottery. The scheme will generate funds for the association throughout Scotland. Next one, Peter Marinello. Um, the new George Best is what he's called, what he was called. And it says, Statements such as that heralded the arrival of the young Scottish star when he signed for Arsenal a decade ago. Unhappily, Marinello never fulfilled his ambition. He moved again just recently from American club Phoenix Inferno to Hearts for £30,000. Peter Marinello, um, I mean, he started at Hibs, but that would have been before your dad was at Hibs, wouldn't it? Um, was it- yeah, I, I recognise the name, though. I've heard, that, heard, heard of him. Um, mm. but not, don't know a lot about him, Yeah, I do recognise the name. Well, he started at Hibs, went to Arsenal, and as I say, was um, touted as a new George Best. He was actually even... He actually even um, 
introduced a top of the pops, I believe. Is that right, Tom? Wasn't it? <laughs> okay. He was. He was yeah. like the this new um, trendy guy and good, really good looking boy he was mm-hmm. as well. Um, but never really worked out from there. Portsmouth then came back up to Motherwell. Um, sometime over in the states, Hearts uh, finished at Partick Thistle. Really, um, you know, I think I, I think it's fair to say he's one of these people who didn't have the career that everybody thought he was going to have. Have you anything to add to that, Tom? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I just just look like you say. I remember him being sort of. The story of him being sort of touted as a, the new big thing and it never mm. quite worked out for him. I would say if you ever get the chance, Jackie, um, on YouTube, look out for the Top of the Pops one because it's, he's, he's not comfortable doing it. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's surrounded by these lovely lovely girls and stuff yeah. like that, but you can see it's, he's not in his comfort zone. Yeah, with comfort it. zone yeah. uh, so next one I'm going to look at is um, Celtic's new book. It says, Celtic's glorious history is illustrated vividly in a new book entitled Celtic FC Facts and Figures, 1888 to 1981. That's quite a catchy title, isn't it? Um, it costs £1 and is available from the club shop. Research was carried out by Pat Woods with a tribute from Chairman Mr Desmond White, who says it will undoubtedly become, with our other books, an important part of Celtic history. So it's available on eBay, if you like, for £12.99. So I don't know if you you, you have a copy of that or if that's anything you've, you've, you've seen in the, the Celtic shop or anything like that. But, um, yeah, as I say, Celtic facts and figures, 1888 to 1981. Well, we're, we're on Celtic there, Jackie. So, how long did it take you to make your mind up when Celtic came in for you? Uh, not long, to be honest. Um, okay. You know, I was talking about that earlier today. Because um, I think they put a bid in first and then it was rejected. And, obviously, we were told that uh, November wanted a million pounds for me at the time, which I thought was... Mental, uh, considering we were in the champ, the league, first division at the time. Um, and we spoke to the club, me and my dad, and it's before obviously Bosman. And, yeah. and I got a call later on that uh, that day to say that they accepted it. I think it was 650 plus add ons for Scotland, so worked out 700 uh, on my first Scotland cap. So, yeah, it was, and it was, it was a, the just as uh, Braveheart came out in the cinema and uh, me and my wife lived in Dunfermline at the time and we were in the cinema to watch the film and I'm probably the only one that didn't get uh, hyped up or emotional watching Braveheart. Uh, I was just so excited about, you know, the next morning I was going through to, to send for Celtic and do my medical. Mm. So. Well, listen, we're going to, I've got a little article from a later shoot magazine we'll have, a, I'll just go forward to that because it's sort of related to this um, so this is from um, shoot 1995 November and it's looking at the Celtic kids coming of age and there's a little bit here for yourself and it says uh, Tommy Burns paid 600 650,000 for the right back he's tracked for ages and the new boy admits just getting here is a thrill it's been my dream to play for Celtic I was so excited so excited after my debut that I slept with my Celtic shirt on is this correct yeah, yeah, I did. And uh, the the kit man gave me the, the shirt, and he, as you can see in the, sh- the, the picture there, <laughs> this is before you had your own name in the back and your own size. So this is a XL, but and it was like a ninety on me. We see it's rolled up there. And while I was actually in the signing uh, doing my medical, uh, someone broke into my dad's car oh. and stole my boots. So. Um, 
I was nervous enough to make my debut because I signed that day. It was the fourth of October, hmm. and we were done the done the everything there. Done the medical, signed, and the gaffer Tommy Buns was like, "I'm going to start you tonight uh, at Brockville against Falkirk. Are you, are you ready?" I went, "Yeah, of course, yeah, brilliant." So went out to to get my stuff at my dad's car, um, which was just parked. Remember the old pylons in this in the car park at Celtic Park. My, my dad's car was parked there, and someone smashed the window and took my boots and my shit pads. So um, I was nervous enough, but I had to borrow someone's boots and shin pads to play that night. Um, I was so nervous. Yeah. Okay, let's move back to where we were. There's a few, yep, so we've looked at the Celtic book. So the next one is titled Alex's Jackpot. This is about Alex Ferguson. It says, Aberdeen manager Alex Ferguson won't forget his scouting trip to the Mer- to Merseyside earlier in the season to take in the Everton versus Notts County game. When the home side striker Peter Easto opened the scoring in the fifth minute, Ferguson checked the golden goal ticket he'd bought for the game and found out he was the winner of a £250 jackpot. He did just everything he does turns to gold is Alex Ferguson. Um, what, what, what's your yeah? Let's talk about Alex Ferguson. What, what's your experiences with with Alex? Uh, yeah, when I was a kid, um, there was a few of us. Seven of us went down to Man U in trial. Um, he used to bring all the kids from different areas of the UK. The ones you know, like Alan Johnston, Brian McLaughlin, Tommy Harrison. We went down there. Seven of us. And he had at the time, there was Ryan Giggs, obviously, and different other ones. Beckham was a wee bit younger, but he was there. And we stayed in this kind of halls of residence. So I went down went down for a week, and I got invited back the following year. But as everybody started to grow, I, I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't invited back uh, later on. Um, but it was for me, it was a great experience. And there was some unbelievable players there, boys that... You remember their names, obviously, because they've they made it into my news team. But also, guys like Nick Barnby was there, uh, who went to Tottenham at the time, and obviously a few of the Scottish lads that uh, went up to play against. Um, you know, in the back of that, as I said, Alan Johnston, me, Brian McLaughlin, Tommy Harrison was Colin McKee, who actually signed. He uh, signed Colin McKee and played in the first team there, Scottish lad. So it was, yeah, that was my, and meeting them at the time was, was fantastic. Obviously, I've met him a few other times since then with the football and been at Celtic and testimonials. Uh, we're playing against Man U. And uh, when I took ill last year, we both had a, kind of similar injuries with, you know, with uh, brain hemorrhage. So uh, I actually watched your documentary recently and it was, a lot of things I could relate to. It's uh, quite quite emotional. Mm. How, how how's how is your health at the moment? Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, feel totally fine. And as I said, obviously there's a lot of changes to <laughs> the, way, the way things are. But I think um, you know how how you can recover. You know, and that's the thing with the documentary. He was worried about his his memory and writing things down. And I was quite similar at the start. Mm. Um, you know, I couldn't remember anything a couple of minutes ago. Uh, it was quite tough to, but it's amazing how how the brain can recover and how you can heal again. Yeah, no, I'm glad I'm glad to hear you're, you're doing well. That that's great. So, um, moving on to the next one, Scottish flyer aids Cardiff. So Cardiff City have enlisted the help of Olympic sprint champion Alan Wells. 
Wells and his wife, Margot, also a runner, gave advice on speed training. Now, I don't know if you, do you remember Alan Wells, the, the Scottish runner? He won the yeah. 100, gold 100 metres, wasn't it, and the silver in the 200 metres. This was the Moscow Olympics, 1980, is that mm-hmm. right? And I think, mm-hmm, yeah. um, not not one to take away from his achievement, that was the one that the, the US didn't, they boycotted Yeah, they uh, boycotted, yeah. Listen, I, I was—I think I was talking to my mum about this the other day, and just said, "Listen, you can only beat what's in front of you. So if um, all the all the really good ones don't turn up, you know what what you're going to do." So Alan Wells, um, heart for hearts, um, heart striker Derek O'Connor looks like tying up his future with the Ed- Edinburgh side. He's re-established himself in the first team after an unsettled spell, and he's back amongst the goal scorers. He's also happily withdrawn his transfer request. Um, is that a name you remember, Derek O'Connor? No, no, yeah. I don't. He, well, he he started at East Fife, St. Johnson, Hearts. After that, he went to Dunfermline. He was there for a year, 84, 85. Uh, Brecon City, Berwick Rangers, and then um, Brock, Broxburn and Pennycook. So he, he made a fair few appearances for, for Hearts. 127 league games, 47 goals. Um, and he scored, I think... On his debut, he scored um, a goal in the first minute, um, and a win away to Aberdeen. Um, so you know, I think that you're you're setting the bar high, aren't you? Scoring a goal in the first minute of your debut against Aberdeen. So I yeah. don't I don't think he really. I mean, he's done okay, but you know, it's, it's not a name that I really remember much either. But yourself, Tom Derek Corner. I remember I think he's got a hard to get to Clyde Bank. Well, we better tell Jackie that Tom, Tom and I are Clyde Bank, both Clyde Bank supporters, so that anything right. anything we always look mm-hmm. at a Clyde Bank slant as well, so we all try to uh, shoehorn Clyde Bank into anything we can. Yeah, I the privilege of playing there as mm-hmm. well, Clyde Bank, um, against the great David Cooper. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, they were good games actually, and a tough, tough place to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's a bit, um, more, I guess, morbid. But I mean, David Cooper obviously had the brain hemorrhage as well, and that went. Yeah. You know. That, that I know. Way. I he wasn't as as fortunate um, as myself at that. You know, and, that, and that's you know, I spoke about that before. Um, when when I heard, obviously, um, I knew that, that that's how he passed away, and it was mm. similar. I was a bit more fortunate that uh, there was people in the area and paramedics close by um, so nah but he was uh, he was a special player Davey mm-hmm. even as he got older and yeah. started to wind down a bit and I was sort of starting my career I was lucky enough to play against him and he was he was good yeah yeah we were talking um, we had the Kennedy on who's a Clybank striker and he was talking about David Cooper at that period as well and just saying he's the best player he'd ever played with you know he still he still had it um, mm-hmm. Which you know, I think there was a lot of people that thought when he moved from Rangers, that was the end of his career. But he went to Motherwell, won the cup, and just you know, he still still had plenty in in, in the tank. Um, okay, next one. I think this may be the last one of these these letters. Or not these letters. These um, little snippets is about Ted McDougall. Um, so Ted, whose career took him to Liverpool, York City, Bournemouth twice, Man United, West Ham, Norwich, Southampton, and Blackpool. Is considering a comeback at the age of 34. He said, talk with San Jose Earthquakes, George Best's current club, and Southern League club Salisbury. He says, I'm just as fit now as when I played in the first division. 
So as a spoiler, he would he wouldn't go to the US. He actually went to Salisbury, and then he had a spell in Greece and Australia, and I believe he's currently coaching the Atlanta Silverbacks in the States. Um, very good goal scorer was Ted McDougall, and you know some great clubs there as well: Liverpool, Bournemouth, Man United, um, West Ham, Norwich City, um, as you say. And he had obviously a spell at York City, which you you had a spell there yourself. Um, yeah, I think his might have been more um, <laughs> more favourable. <to> <laughs> yeah, I had a spell. I was I was there, but I think he people I think they would uh, appreciated him a lot more than did me at that club. That's for sure. Well, what what do you take away from the the York City experience? Uh, not great. Um, <laughs> no, I think it. I think in life experiences are good and bad, but they are what they are. You know, the football side has been good, and most of the management was good. But um, the positives there, obviously, was was probably meeting the chairman, who I'm still from friends with uh, to this day. You know, we got in so well, and he stood by me and he believed in me, mm. which was, fairness was a was a tough a tough job to, yeah. to take over, and it's I think over the years it's been a bit of a the graveyard for managers, um, you know, and I can understand why. So yeah. It's been it's a, it's a tough gig. Okay, well, well, that 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 will be our only mention of York City then, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, have a look at the next page that we're going to look at, which is we're going to look at on the ball with Justin Fashion. Now. So this this is quite a this is quite a um, quite a sobering article. Um, so. The heading is Black Power is getting stronger. So, that's, um, so Justin tells of being in the plunge bath after a game when he starts to scrub his leg. He shrieks, I can't feel my leg, it's gone numb. And it turns out that it was someone else's leg that he was washing. Uh, it happened after turning out in a testimonial match with Cess Pod, who we mentioned earlier of Bradford City, and the bath was shared with 10 other black players. Justin tells this anecdote to highlight a remarkable change taking place in league football. The Black Explosion, they call it here. He tells of his excitement at the number of black players breaking through in the game. They've even set up a representative all-black team, the one that appeared in the Cesspod testimonial, and also in another testimonial for Jim Cannon at Crystal Palace. Justin goes through the players involved and picks out some of the lesser-known ones, such as Chris White, Raphael Mead and Watford's John Barnes, who he says, I'm told the boys got class. Yeah, didn't he just... Now, Justin says that there are no racial tensions in the game. And he says, and th- this is a quote from him, and I have a message for the commentators who criticise fans for making jungle noises whenever black players get the ball. Don't worry about it, lads. We love the chance. If the crowds are shouting abuse, we know we are playing well enough to rile them. We don't find it offensive. As long as blacks can play sport together with whites, there are no racial problems in this country. Gentle ribbing between... White and black harms no one. Now, when I when I first saw this article and read that, I I, I couldn't. It, it really was quite sobering, and it, it sort of slap. You know, it was like getting slapped in the face to to hear that. Um, if you know, if I read it back and think maybe he's being, you know, sort of um, sarcastic, then it would make perfect sense. But maybe maybe he was just. Maybe that was his way of dealing with it and um, just try to t- take the sting out of things. But yeah, I, I, I personally, I don't agree with it. But I'm I'm never going to criticise a black 
player or a black person for, you know, having an opinion on how they're treated because, you know, you can't put yourself in those shoes. But, um, yeah, it was quite a sobering thought. But he, he mentions, um, so a few players, Chris White, who went on to, was it Leeds United he played in United, Arsenal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Raphael Mead, who turned up at Dundee United, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously John Barnes, who at the time was at Watford, but he was the one coming through. Um, so what, what what was your what was your experience, uh, John Barnes, when when you played there? Um, I, th- I think you know when when we first got announced, I was absolutely buzzing. I thought this is going to be brilliant because obviously watching him, he was a fantastic footballer, and you know that Liverpool team. I thought this is going to be total football. We're going to going to love it, but. Um, Kind of disappointed a wee bit with with some of the with the you know uh, some of the things that kind of went on and obviously the biggest thing was Henrik breaking his leg made it really difficult for him but I think he's certain things that I thought he struggled with um, at the start you know with some of the players we had in the dressing room um, just how he, he went about it but um, there's no doubt he was an unbelievable player but I just think his his man management wasn't wasn't the uh, wasn't his best hmm. um, asset. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's the same thing, and I know we say we wouldn't t- touch on the York City thing again, but, you know, it just shows you that it's, you know, you, you don't have a divine right to to make a management position work. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, you can put the best people in these situations and it just not be the right person in, in that situation, you know? So, um, yeah, it was definitely, definitely a, a, a cracking player. Um so just on, on so Justin Fashion and when I was looking at, I was actually I can't believe I didn't know this that his real name is just Justinus or Justinus I guess it is but um so I'm just going to quickly um roll off the teams that he's played for Norwich City Adelaide City Nottingham Forest Southampton Notch County Brighton Hove Los Angeles Heat Edmonton Brickman Man City West Ham Leighton Orient Hamilton Steelers Southall Toronto Blizzard Leatherhead Newcastle United Torquay Airdrie Chelburg Heart of Midlothian, Atlanta Ruckus and Miramar Rangers. So he's obviously somebody who moved about quite a bit there. And, and you know, I would say probably literally half of those teams I have never heard before in my life either. But while at Hearts, um, 90, would you, would you have played against him? 93, 94? Yeah, he was uh, I don't see he actually played in the match, but yeah, he was there and at Airdrie as well when I was yeah. family. Yeah. been there. Um, and it's funny one of the teams there, Leatherhead, which is uh, my uncle's played. We're based down there, down in London. Uh, they were around Leatherhead, so is that, is that, is that an, a non-league team down there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, okay. I've never heard of Leatherhead, <laughs> um, but yeah, he was um, apparently his contract at Hearts was terminated for unprofessional conduct, um, where he attempted to sell false stories about him and some cabinet member. Uh, ministers to the press, I can't, I can't say I remember that being um, what the reason was, but yeah, certainly a colourful, excuse the part, a colourful um, figure, and you know, controversy certainly um, came with that as well. I think. Okay, let's move on a couple of pages here, and so this one is Qatar not to be sneezed at, um, and it says Qatar were a sensation at the World Youth Cup in Australia eventually losing out in the final to West Germany. On the way, they beat Poland 1-0, Brazil 3-2 and England 2-1. 
The Qataris had switched the Brazilian coaches from English ones as they said the English ones were teaching their boys to run at 100 miles per hour in the desert heat. Stories suggest that the youth players each received a new car for their efforts at the World Cup. The coach was on £120,000 per year, tax-free, plus a free apartment and servants. And the article finishes with, watch the Arabs rise to soccer power in the years to come. So the, let's take a last bit. That that didn't happen. The, the Arabian teams haven't risen to soccer power. Um, but let's let's take a look at a free car for the for the youth internationalists. Hundred twenty thousand pound a week back in nineteen eighty. Uh, no, a week, a year back in nineteen eighty one. Tax free, free apartment and servants. That's not bad job if you can get it. Eh? Yeah, I wonder what that'd be worth now. What the, the yeah, I'd say that I'd still take hundred twenty thousand pound a year just now. That's, that's <laughs> what I was just going to say it's a good, yeah. it's a good, uh, it's a good, a good salary now. I mean, back then, mm. um, that's and the car as well. Yeah. So is it is that the is the Middle East something that's ever happened for you in terms of, is that ever been an option to go to play there or going to manage or anything like that? Has there ever been any? No, no, it's never really appealed to me that. Um, I think the closest I've I came to to leaving the UK was to go to Australia right. uh, before I went to Aberdeen. Um, I had a chance to go to it was Sydney FC, mm-hmm. uh, and the manager got sacked before I agreed it was so <laughs> maybe a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not the best flyer, um, so you know, it's, it's quite a quite a journey. Mm. Okay, let's, we're at the centre page, so we'll have a quick look at this Man City team group and then we'll, we'll pop out and have a wee chat with you about the book and things. Um, so the centre spread, spread, as I say, is Man City team group and it's an old blue umbro kit with white piping down the shoulders and there's a few Scots in there um, that I can recognise. Tommy Hutchinson, um, Bobby McDonald, Jerry Gow. Um, I think those are the only three there. That well, there's, there's Asa Hartford, but I'll talk about that in a wee second. So what they've done at the bottom of the page, whoever had this magazine previously, um, the, they've added some Panini stickers of players who have obviously um, joined after this photo was taken. So we've got Asa Hartford, John Ryan, Ian Davies, David Cross, Chris Jones and Graham Baker. And so they've cut out their Panini stickers and stuck it in the bottom. I, I quite like, occasionally I'll see that on the magazines where, where people have done that and I quite like that as a use of it. You, you spoke earlier on saying that you collected the Panini stickers. So, you know, you're always going to have doublers. So what are you going to do with them? And I think that's a good, um, as good way as any. And just also I pick out Trevor Francis is there and uh, Martin O'Neill is Martin up, O'Neill, there, yeah. up the top of the back. Yeah. Um, anybody else you want to pick out? Paul Power in the middle bottom who we had on the podcast as well. There's um, Dennis Stewart, bottom right there, um, second one in. Joe Corrigan, Tommy Caton, there's, there's quite a few in there. Okay, so that's the team group and we'll move out of the magazine for a wee bit and we're just going to do a wee, quickly do a focus on, so you'll know of the focus on features that you get in the magazine where it's a player and they ask all these questions. So we're going to do a focus on yourself, Jackie, so I'm going to throw some questions at you. And don't worry, there's nothing There's nothing loaded in these. They're just standard <laughs> questions. Um, first question, full name? Jack McNamara, yep. Birthplace? Glasgow. Okay, what was your first car? My first car was a uh, Volkswagen Polo. Which colour? Silver. Who's your favourite player of all time? You mentioned him. Of all time? Uh, well, as I said, as a kid, it was, it was Kenny Douglas. Who's your favourite team? Um... 
well, it was mostly when I would say growing up, it was whoever my dad was playing for at the time. So um, I was a bit young mm-hmm. to be uh, Celtic when he was there. It was mostly Hibs up until he moved. And then he went to Morton and a spell. He actually had a short spell at Hamilton as well. And then when I watched him at Morton. Mm-hmm. So I was, my dad's teams over that was it. So I was supporting at the time. And okay. obviously later on, it's, it's always been Celtic. Okay. What's the most memorable match? So either that you've watched or you've been involved in. Most memorable match, yeah. I think personally, you know, um, would be scoring the cup final against Tibbs um, in uh, Martin Hughes' first season. Um, yeah, I think personal reasons, you know, when I was a kid at Hibs and they been too small uh, and let and let go, and Dunfermline took me on, so. For me, it was a bit, of, a bit of payback for for letting me go. Okay, next question: What's been your biggest thrill in your life? Uh, biggest thrill? I don't want to be scoring in the cup final again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, 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 yeah, we'll go. <laughs> I'm supposed to say the both of my kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Only if you want to. Only if you want to. Okay. Yeah. On, on the flip side, what's been what's been your biggest disappointment? Uh, I would say uh, probably losing the league. In the last day of the season, away at Motherwell. Between that, I mean, the, obviously using, losing the UEFA Cup final in Seville was was tough. But I had a lot of personal stuff going on. My mum wasn't well at the time as well, so it wasn't it wasn't as uh, as bad in, in, in that in my memory. You know what I mean? Because I had other issues at yeah. the time. Okay, what's the best country that you visited? Best country, uh, probably the Cayman Islands. Okay. Favourite food? Chinese. Okay. What's your favourite TV show? Favourite TV show? Uh, it was Fools and Horses. Okay. Fools and Horses. That's quite yeah. a popular one throughout the Focus On features. So. Um, favourite singers? So give us two singers or bands. Favourite singers? Uh, music's quite varied. Uh, between Springsteen, Stereophonics, I like Oasis, I like loads of stuff, yeah. Okay. Um, what about f- favourite actors? You've got a couple of favourite actors. Actors would be uh, De Niro, Robert De Niro, and maybe DiCaprio. Okay. I like him as well. Nice, good answer. It's obviously not De Niro in his comedy roles. In his serious ones. Do you know what? I actually, I actually really like him in the Dirty Grandpa. I think he was brilliant in that. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, who's your best friend? I spent, uh, I think we had to put one down. I've, I've got a lot of BPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we had to pick one, to be honest. Okay. I think I would upset yeah. another. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll get a hard time in your, your WhatsApp if, if, if you don't pick the, the right one. Um, yeah. Biggest influence on your career? It'd be my dad, yeah. It'd be my dad. Uh, just a quiet, uh, calm influence at, at times there. Other times there, and you know, he stepped in and gave him advice. And uh, when I was a kid at Dunfermline, he had an assistant manager I put by the throat when he took his head off when he gave me a hard time at one of the games. And I thought my Dunfermline career was over before it started. Um, <laughs> my dad's always been the, the one there, that, you know, to give advice or take control of things. Yeah, 
Okay, last question. Which person in the world would you most like to meet? Um, so this can be alive or dead. Alive or dead. I'd like to have met Maradona. Yeah. Good show. Okay, brilliant. That's, that's the questions. Um, Tom, any questions? Uh, yeah, sure. Obviously, you're uh, promoting your book just now, Jackie. Why now to write your, write your story? Uh, well, I'd been asked a number of times who doing over the years and I didn't think for for one to do it while I was managing or playing I don't think it'd be right um, and obviously what happened to me last year um, you know I thought it would be good to put that out because a lot of people would contact me and ask me certain things or you know it's happened to one of their family and you know and hopefully somebody reading it can actually it can help them you know especially the recovery and what to expect with that and time scales and when you think you've you get no hope left to, to kind of recover and uh, how you handle it so yeah I think it's I really enjoyed doing it to be honest you know I've I've not held back in anything that obviously people have a, a perception of me as a player and manager and different things in my career um, Laterally, obviously, the management side, uh, dealing with stuff at York, uh, Dundee United before I left, my contract, having to handle all that um, was tough. You know, and uh, so it's just a way of um, just saying my side of things, which you don't always get to hear. Uh, so like people decide for themselves when they read it. And what was the, the process like um, writing it with Jerry McDade's? It was really enjoyed it. You know, some bits were really tough, as I said, when we were doing it. I'd kind of really emotional uh, doing it. You know, obviously talking about certain parts of it. And I lost, I said, I lost my mother just after Seville in 2003. And that was really difficult to to deal with and still keep playing and carry on as if everything was normal. Um, So, yeah, it was just kind of, I really enjoyed doing it with Jerry, but some bits were, were tough on others. And then obviously going back over the stuff in the hospital and coming round and the things I experienced and uh, even just with the coma. Uh, you know, I always thought when I came out and starting to recover that it was the, the drugs I'd give you to, and it was hallucinating and stuff. And I was like, well, I remember being in the coma. I remember pushing out the coma and when I watched them, programs on it and they tell you that you're in a coma you don't uh, hear or see or do anything you switch kind of off so it was pretty spooky to hear that um you know it was a documentary on netflix called uh, surviving death and i watched that and it kind of there's a lot of things that i relate relate to when i was in the coma and seen and heard so quite spooky wow and just to touch on a couple of the people you worked with was there a moment Jackie, on the field or on the training ground, where you looked at Henrik Larson and realised, ah, this guy's different class? Yeah, probably every, every day. <laughs> no, I think, see, when he first came, he's just one of the guys that, you know, uh, just get better and better. It seemed like even when he first came over, you know, he's playing golf, he wasn't great at golf, but he won fast forward six months and he's down to, like, single figures. He was just... Really annoying, <laughs> but you know it's no surprise to me because he's but he's his desires, his attributes, his finishing, 
his calmness, but his his timing for everything. You know, he was a great. He wasn't the biggest Henrik by any means, but the amount of headers he scored just by his movement. He was so clever um, and such a, a gifted footballer. And uh, what was what was Tommy Burns like for you as a, as a manager? Tommy was was unbelievable for me as a manager and as a kind of mentor. Um, I'd you know talked about in my book with me and my wife had uh, had a lot of problems there. We're trying to start a family and. Uh, you know that's just the, the side there that it's not just the manager side it's the human side and he really him and his wife Rosemary really helped us uh, deal with certain things and um, you know we, did, we didn't think we could have children you know and Tommy um, he'd he done so much for us off the field as well as, as on it in the training field so as a person you hear people different stories about Tommy who what a terrific man he was and manager but he was he was a, a real top top man Another wee thing I wanted to ask you, Jackie. I, I was quite intrigued when I heard that you'd written a, a sitcom. What was what was what was the thing behind that, and how did you, how did you enjoy how did you enjoy the process of doing that? I actually I, I done it um, when I was out injured at Partick Thistle, and I broke my leg just towards the tail end of my career before I started management. So I started scribbling the stuff down, uh, just like funny stories stuff I'd heard over the years, you know, and. I had uh, a family friend in Frank Gohuli who was in the still game. Um, he was in River City and different. And I'd, I'd met him at the shops and we just get chatting and he actually helped me with certain things there. And we, we filmed a pilot uh, at Falkirk Stadium where and Gary Lewis played the manager. Uh, he was another family friend. He read the script and with all these actors and actresses came along and, and wanted to, to do it. Yeah, and it was it was brilliant. It was a great experience, and we'd written about seven episodes um, at the time. And again, this is before I started management, so the material that I've got since then is just <laughs> it's, uh, you can imagine. But uh, you know, I think as a player, you miss the dressing room banter and the funny stories and different characters with different afflictions and different things. So. You know, it was my way of putting maybe four or five characters into one person and telling a few stories with it. Um, but obviously, it's still sitting there. You know, not to be not to be seen for the public yet. Maybe they can they can um, use it to replace the only an excuse slot at New, at New Year. You know? Yeah, you never know. I mean, we had a, we had a meeting. Me and Fran went to the meet the guy in Angus, the BBC, uh, a few years ago. Um, he's not, I don't think he's there anymore, but you know, and they took us into the, the studio in the BBC in the glass room, and it was just the three of us in there. And he's like, you know, just to warn you before we start, um, he says, I never laugh or smile. He says, don't, so don't <laughs> don't take it the wrong way. I was like, I'm doing the wrong job, mate. You know, when you had a COVID. So um, for that side, I thought uh, this is no, this is not going to be great. Uh, obviously, he didn't take it any further. Maybe a bit too uh, a bit OTT for him at that point. Hmm. Yeah, I'll hand back to you, Andy. Right, okay, yeah. I'm just going to go back into the magazine here. I want to look at this one article, and then we'll jump to the article on your dad, and we'll have a wee chat about that as well. There's an article here that says, New System, a winner in points. And the article says, The Football League's brave experiment of three points for a win is receiving a mixed reaction from managers and administrators. 
The initiative has been hailed as putting entertainment back in the game. Fulham manager Malcolm McDonald is not a big fan. Laurie McMenny of Southampton says that the impact can already be seen with teams less noted for attacking having a lower position than they might have used to. Now, England was the first nation to introduce this, and it took until 1994 for it to be introduced in Scotland. And it was first proposed by Jimmy Hill and first used in the World Cup in 1994 as well. You forget about things like this. I mean, this is 1981. England have three points for a win, and it took another 13 years for Scotland. Presumably after, because the 1994 World Cup went with it, and then everybody started going, we better go with it. It's... It, it really, really shocked me when I found out it was 1994. You just assume it, it's been a lot um, longer than that. I actually thought it was the year after we'd done it. I always thought it was... Um, I, sorry, it was because I went to... It was uh, 95 to Celtic. Um, you know, and that was kind of changing. It. I'd spell it Dunfermline. And it, it did make a big difference in it, the, the extra, extra point. Mm. There's the results here, just a quick scan across the results, uh, lineups, results, scorers, uh, Scottish Premier, we've got Aberdeen 2, Dundee 1, Airdrie 1, Partick 1, Dundee United 0, Samirin 2, 2 goals by Jimmy Bone, Hibs 1, Celtic 0, uh, Alan McLeod penalty, and your dad's in there, I think, yep, he's in there, MacArthur, Snedden, Turnbull, Patterson, McNamara, Callaghan, um, was that Flavo, Ray, Murray, and McLeod and Duncan. And Rangers drew 1-1 with Morton. Scottish First Division, we've got Clyde Bank, he's Stirling with a, a, a really, probably the most exciting game of the day and a 0-0 draw in front of 500 people. Um, who else have we got? We've got um, Air United 1, Dunfermline 1 um, there as well. Any other scores anybody want to pick out? So, so the Scottish League Cup is also there, which was from Wednesday, 28th October. And Aberdeen nil Dundee United three United won three one in aggregate so there was uh, Sturrock with two and Ralph Milne with the other goal and Rangers two St Mirren one a Jim Beck penalty and a John McDonald goal for Rangers while Ian Scanlon with a penalty for Saints and Rangers went through four three on aggregate so again it's always great to look back at the these old games just look at the players and um, you know the the tendencies and things like that um, so that that's always nice to do that. So we'll just move on to, we've got a few pages here. So we're moving on to McNamara, thrilled by Dalglish compa um, comparison. So there's two articles, there's actually two articles in this page, so we'll take this one first. Um, so it says, another Kenny Dalglish, that was the verdict on the young midfield man who was breaking into the Celtic team, the Celtic first team alongside Kenny Dalglish in the early 70s. Jackie, who's now at Hibs, says, that seems a long time ago. Kenny was a favourite of mine and it was a great thrill to line up alongside him for Celtic. I played with him many times in the attack and his skills were always something special. When I heard that some fans thought I had some of the same talents, I was flattered. Um, today, McNamara is one of the most skillful sweepers in the Premier Division. Hibs haven't enjoyed the best of seasons lately, being relegated two years ago. High expectations were set after an epic Scottish Cup final with Rangers that ran over three games before being decided by an Arthur Duncan own goal. Hibs were relegated the following season, but have got themselves back into the top league and are currently near the top of the table. So this season, Hibs would finish in 6th place on 36 points. 
and they finished bottom of their Scottish League Cup group with St Mirren, Celtic and St Johnson and knocked out of the Scottish Cup after a re- replay with Dundee United. So not, not not a great season. So so talk about um, what was it like having such a, a you know a famous footballer as a dad and obviously the comparisons between yourself and him as you were growing up. Yeah, it was um, obviously when we, me and my two brothers, I was a middle child. Um, we, we, my mum would take us to all the games and and the Hibs fans used to sing his name. There's only one McNamara. You know, it was, and you always think, hey, your, your dad's the best player in the world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've been biased to there, but I thought he was he was good. You know, he played in the sweet role. Hibs actually saved his career and talked about that. You know, I think my dad was... Was quite young, he had a, a cushion ligament, which at that time was career career ending. Um, but you know, Hibs got him back and a good spell there at Hibs, and he absolutely loved it. So, um, for me, obviously, starting out was the comparisons was tough when you when you when I was younger, you know, people saw he's only there because of that, such and such. Um, in some ways, you've got to, I felt I had to do even more because of that. You know, to prove myself and prove that I was there on merit, not because my dad was who he was. So, so how, how did he? I take it he encouraged you in the game as well. It wasn't, you know, he didn't try and talk you out of it or anything like that. Was was that the situation? No, yeah, he was just the right advice and how to handle certain situations. And um, you know, I think that that really helped me. My, my older brother played a little bit, but he wasn't really as keen to be a professional like myself. Younger brother didn't play, but um, for me, it was a lot to do. And you know, I used to be a ball boy at Hibs as well. My older brother, and I just wanted to be on that pitch, you know, the, being so close to it and the game. It's always what I wanted to do, yeah. So, so your dad's career it started at Celtic, um, Hibs, and then as you say, Morton. Did, did they play at Hamilton or was he coaching at Hamilton? He was, I'm not sure if he actually played any games, but he was assistant manager for a spell as well, but I'm, I'm not sure if he actually played for Hamilton. Um, but I do remember him playing for Morton you know, quite a number of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got 57 league appearances for that, 236 for Hibs and 26, 21 for Celtic, but these are just yeah. league appearances. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, it's it's certainly I I come across quite a lot of the the articles about your dad, and then you know, when I post them online, things like that there certainly is a lot of a lot of love for him from even from from the Celtic um, fans as well. And I guess you know he was there for a few years, but he didn't really, you know, twenty one first team appearances. So you know, to have made an impact with so yeah. few games is is probably quite a, a good indicator of how how good a player he was. Yeah, and he's come in at the, the tail end of the, the Lisbon Lions era as well. Hmm. You know, it's a, the team that they had that he was, he was trying to break into was wasn't easy. Um, but as I said, he, he did pick up a, a bad injury there and he uh, gets swapped to a swap with Pat Stanton, went the other way. Um, but no, he, he loved his time at Hibs. And that was where he enjoyed his football the most. Mm-hmm. Now, it's on the same page, so just wait, as I say, we have the article on your dad there and then there's one about Sandy Clark so we'll have a quick chat about that one and it says priceless Clark and Airdrie manager Bobby Watson has said that striker Sandy Clark is absolutely priceless in today's transfer market Clark nearly moved to Partick Thistle the season before for £100,000 
but when Thistle's hopes of confirming a place in the UEFA Cup were dashed by a bad result on the day of the move which to take place, the deal fell through. Clark has also attracted the attention of Aberdeen's Alex Ferguson. And Clark says, I'm no, not in any rush to leave Broomfield. The club has been good to me and I hope I've been good for it. I just want to keep knocking in the goals to show everyone what I'm capable of. Now this season... Airdrie finished bottom of the league and were relegated and despite this Clark won the PFA player of the year for the season which is some going for a relegated team he was at Airdrie he moved down south to West Ham United didn't really work out from there moved back to Rangers um, Hart of Midlothian, Partick Thistle and 1990 had four games at Dunfermline Athletic as well then went on to manage Thistle Hearts, Hamilton, St Johnson and Berwick Rangers. I believe he's currently at Queen of the South with Alan Johnson. I think he's fought yeah. there, followed yeah. about a few times. Um, have, much, have you had many dealings with Sandy Clark? Yeah, I worked with Sandy when uh, I had that spell at Aberdeen with the two Jimmies. Yeah. Uh, Sandy was there working with him as well. Um, his, son, his son was on the uh, Nicky who's at Dundee United he was he was there as well on the ground staff um, we've done him well, well for himself over the years so mm. yeah um, it was a decent move Sandy and quite an effective player yeah striker excellent so we're at the back of the magazine so let's just have a wee look at that so this is um, super focus on Mark Lawrence and Liverpool's Mark Lawrence and the, the happy man of football so a couple of the things just to, to focus on so other sports person you most admire and his answer is amateur sportsmen who take part in sport purely for the love of it now that's not an answer that I would have expected from Matt Lawrence who's notoriously quite a, a doer you know and there's people question that he even likes football um, and I have to admit <laughs> I've, 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 I've been in that camp a few times myself but yeah he says that the pe- people he most admire are amateur sports people who take part in sport purely for the love of it uh, favourite food and drinks, lasagna and lambrusco. Is that something that you would be interested in, a combination of lasagna and lambrusco? Uh, the lasagna's fine. Yeah. The lasagna's yeah. fine, absolutely. <laughs> um, most like to meet, the Princess of Wales you'd most like to meet as well in there. So, yeah, the rest mm-hmm. of it's all just sort of um, stock answers. Um, favourite holiday, Dallas, Texas, film scene, Raiders of the Lost Art, things like that. So, so we've got to the end of the magazine, Jackie. Um, thanks for going through that with us. Um, now, in terms of the book, where where can people get a hold of this? Um, it's a released today. Um, was it today? It was released. Yeah. Uh, no, it's actually out on Monday, so you'll get it in uh, most bookstores. I'd imagine W. H. Smith uh, as well, um, Watson's, uh, Amazon. You know, they'll be out, they'll be out on Monday. What, what's it called? Is it My Name Is Mac McNamara? Or? His name is Matt Newman, yeah, it's off the, the song. Um, I was actually going to call it to Holland back um, because when I went to the hospital, you know, when I, my aneurysm, when yeah. I rushed to the whole hospital, and also the the, the surgeon that done my procedure was called Aubrey, right. who was, anybody who watches Fools and Horses know Aubrey was Boyce's right. first name. So, right. um, you know, Little things like that. Uh, mm. Remember at the time when he was telling me his, who his, his, his full name and stuff, and was, you know, it yeah. was uh, good to deal with in comedy. Yeah. Are, you, are you still are you still down based down south? Yeah, down in York. Yeah, yeah. Me, my wife, uh, 
and one of my children, the other two children are up in Scotland, but yeah, we're still based down there and uh, live about 30 minutes from from York itself in a little, a little town, which is, is lovely. Yeah, I, to be honest, I'm, I mean, I, I've lived down in, so I lived down just near Leeds and I've lived down here the last 21 years or something like that, so... You know, mm-hmm. I, I know the area quite well, so I, I think I know the sort of area that you're in, and it is, it's lovely, lovely country up yeah. there. And um, I mean, York itself is a beautiful city. It's a beautiful it is, city. yeah, it is. It's a lovely, lovely city. Nice, nice um, restaurants and uh, shops and bars there, and uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of history. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And until it rains too heavily, and then it gets a bit yeah, <laughs> floods. Yeah, so. <laughs> so the so the book's available on Monday and. Um, it's by is it who's publishing it? It's Pitch Pitch Publishing. Pitch. Yeah, Pitch okay. Publishing. So, so yeah, if, yeah. If, if people want, they can go to the Pitch Publishing Pitch Publishing website and check out um, the best places to 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 buy it. I'll I'll be getting it myself as well. So um, I'll have a wee read of that. And um, what is, is there anything else going on with you at the moment? Are you involved at Dunfermline again? No, no, I'm I'm not doing that. Any, I'm just doing that. Uh, before, but I think all changed there now with uh, German owners and right. um, no, it was good. I, I really enjoyed this, uh, going into trying to help out um, earlier on because, as I said, I had a lot of affection for the club that mm-hmm. helped me, it gave me that chance to start my career, and it was a good grounding there for filming the good people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so for me now, it's mostly. Um, Mostly just been watching watching games. Now it's good that the the fans are back. Now you can get in and watch more yeah. more football. Yeah. Well, so what what are your long term plans? Or do they have any at the moment is to get involved again? At any sort of level? Uh, not immediate. I don't think my yeah. family would be too happy. If I said <laughs> yeah either. Um, you know, I think they suffer the most when you get uh, you're in that public eye and you get the abuse. Yeah. You know, they, because they care and they worry about you and stuff. So. Um, I've got no, I've got no desire to to go back and do anything like that just now. Um, I don't think that that will change over the years. Right. I miss playing football. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. If I could turn back the clock and go and play football again, I'd, I'd love to. But um, the management side, I don't, I don't really miss. So you're allowed to play in like sort of testimonials or little games like that, five aside. Is that something uh, you can do? Yeah, I mean, I've been back doing some running myself. Trying to keep get myself into a better shape and um, and fitness, but uh, I've not put any any matches yet, yeah. any testimonials or charity games. But yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to do that and um, just not head of the ball. Yeah. Well, listen, when you're at any sort of level of fitness, I'll I'll get the Clyde Bank manager to give you a shout, and you can come guess for us. So. Yeah. Well, listen, Jackie. Um, certainly wish you the best with with the book. I'll I'll we'll, um we'll certainly give it a good plug on the the Twitter accounts and the website and things like that. And wish you all the best for your health, especially more than anything else. Um, and thank you very much for going through the magazine with us. It's it's been it's been really good. So thank you for your time. Oh, pleasure. Thank you very much. Nice nice to be on. Thanks and, for having uh, it. Thank you very much. Cheers, Jackie. Cheers. Take care. Bye bye. charity partner this season is the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share. This is a charitable organisation that provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. A school uniform bank, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. 
They provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families and we will be looking to support them in any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers. We will also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware of these vital services. You can follow them on the West Dunbartonshire Community Food Share Group on Facebook or westdunbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk for the website. And that's West Dunbartonshire with an N. You can also donate through our Just Giving page for the charity at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash shoot the breeze one word. Also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts at shoottb underscore podcast and at Scott's Footy Cards for updates and news on our charity partner. We'd like to say a special thank you to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of the story of the blues in the music for our show. You can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk where you can check out the details of upcoming gigs and new music. We'd also like to thank our producer Diane Jarden for her great work and support on the podcast. Please check out transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clybank.